TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Sarah Stewart. And I'm Steve Hayter. And today, I want to start off by sharing with you one of my favorite quotes. Uh, And I I love it so much because it really helped me to put the power of food into perspective. And it comes from Anne Wigmore, who said, The food you eat can either be the safest and most powerful form of medicine or the slowest form of poison. And this was a a really exciting realization for me because it taught me that I have a choice in influencing my health, and that is really exciting. So today's guest has an extensive knowledge about the best kinds of food for us to eat. We first spoke to her a while back about her book, The Paleo Approach, which I love, and she is back today to chat about The Paleo Approach Cookbook, which she has written to show us just how easy and delicious regaining your health can be. So welcome back to the show author and our favorite paleo mum, Sarah Ballantyne. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I had so much fun last time. So when you guys invite me back, it was like an absolute no-brainer. I'm like, of course I want to come hang out with you guys. <laughs> it's like the internet hangout because to actually hang out with you would be a very long plane ride. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never say never. We'd love to make that happen too, Sarah. <laughs> uh, well, I, w- I would love to, but it would have to be, that would be like, Big family vacation time, I think. Oh, wouldn't that be epic? Well, um, Sarah, firstly, we absolutely love your new cookbook. It made me hungry straight away, and it's an absolute standout guide for anyone needing help um, or inspiration in the kitchen. Um, And you've obviously been very busy since we last caught up. Um, For those of our listeners that don't know much about you, could you perhaps tell us a bit about um, your background and story and, and what you've been up to more recently? Um, sure. So I'll, I'll give the, the, the cliff now notes <laughs> version of my background story. Um, so I, I have a, a PhD in medical biophysics and I was a medical researcher um, and I was also morbidly obese and um, suffered a bunch of chronic illnesses. So, you know, while I was, you know, getting this great education and, and doing research actually in inflammation, I was also really struggling with my own health with, you know, chronic illnesses, which all have inflammation as part of the the root causes of, of every chronic illness. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really put two and two together until much later. So I was um, a postdoctoral research fellow um, doing my, my second, actually, postdoctoral research position when my first daughter was born. And I made this decision at that point, I think... You know, at the time I was saying that I, I just wanted to be the perfect mom and I, I didn't want to have to try and find balance between an academic research career and, and motherhood. And I just didn't want to have to make concessions for either of those. And I, I you know, I wanted to be the perfect researcher and I want to be the perfect mom. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to do that and I would be miserable if I wasn't perfect. So I decided to focus on being a mom. When I look back now, though, at that decision, I know that it was really influenced by the fact that I was really unhealthy. I was morbidly obese. I had, um, you know, three autoimmune diseases. I had asthma and allergies 
and irritable bowel syndrome and acid reflux. And I was pre-diabetic and I'd had gestational diabetes and preeclampsia during my first you know, pregnancy. And then I had this baby who was colicky and never slept. And, um, and I, I think that, you know, as much as at the time I was really talking about, you know, just wanting to take the time to focus on being the best mom I could be, you know, in many ways, I think that was me recognizing that I was not healthy enough to be able to find balance. Um, and so I, I stayed home and that did give me the space to start to work on my health. And I ended up losing weight with a low carbohydrate diet. So my second pregnancy was, was much healthier, but even losing weight didn't actually make me a healthy person. So it, it helped, you know, the, the prediabetes went away and my blood pressure lowered and, you know, my blood sugars were well regulated. But I was having, you know, massive skin issues. Um, two out of the three autoimmune diseases I have are skin diseases. Um, I was having eczema, um, really severe asthma, really severe irritable bowel syndrome. I was on six different prescription medications. And when my second daughter was a year and a half, I had this moment where I really had this realization that even though I had lost weight at this point, um, using a low carb diet approach, I wasn't healthy. And it was the first time that I thought of the words thin and healthy as having two separate meanings. Mm -hmm. Because up until that point in my life, I really thought that, you know, being thin and exercising is what makes you healthy. Mm -hmm. And it never occurred to me that losing weight and being more active wouldn't be enough. And that also started me on this, you know, sort of self-discovery. And I was, you know, researching a lot on the internet to try and find solutions. And that's what eventually brought me to the paleo diet. But it also eventually led to a similar um, type of epiphany, which was that diet and nutrition are not the same thing. And that how I had thought about food up until that point was as fuel. So if I eat too much fuel, and I, I had a sense of, of insulin and, the, you know, carbohydrates have a different effect on your body than, than proteins and fat. But I still thought of it as fuel. And if you eat too much fuel, you gain weight. If you eat just the right amount of fuel, you'll stay the same weight. And if you don't eat enough fuel, then you'll burn your stored fuel and you'll lose weight. And then I started to think about nutrition and started to think about the building blocks for my cells. I started to think about um, the the raw materials for every chemical reaction that's happening in every cell at every moment and started thinking about the nutrients that my body needed. And so I ended up you know, reading a lot and deciding uh, after three months of careful consideration to try this paleo diet crazy thing. And um, I went off six prescription medications in two weeks. Oh. So I became a zealot. I think it's a fairly <laughs> common experience when, when people adopt a paleo diet and it you know, dramatically reverses health conditions that they've been suffering from. Um, and then I ended up, you know, it was one of those interesting journeys. It's another typical experience to have this like amazing experience right from the beginning and then have something not work. And so for me, that's what happened. So I had, you know, all of my health conditions reversed except for the skin conditions, which were my primary reason for trying a paleo diet in the first place. Mm. So I had better digestion than I ever had. My migraines went away. My acne went away. My energy improved. Um, you know, I, I stopped having aches and pains in my joints. I stopped having acid reflux, my asthma improved, my allergies improved. 
And I still had these horrible skin conditions, which are very, they're not just, I mean, they're painful, but they're also very visible evidence of not being healthy. Mm. Like it's really kind of this, this badge of, Hey, I'm doing something wrong and I don't know what it is. And so I started tinkering and that's when I discovered this, you know, at the time, this very, um, very sort of, um, abstract idea of the autoimmune protocol. And there was very, very little information. There was basically a list of extra foods that you don't eat. And I decided that, well, I should try this. You know, at this point, I've already done my research. I'm already committed to paleo. I'm already a zealot. I'm already, I've already started a blog and decided that my whole family is going to join me on this journey. So what's, you know, cutting out a few more foods. Um, but then because I'm a scientist, it was always really important for me to understand why. And so as I was experimenting on myself and, you know, eating more of certain foods, eating less of other foods, cutting out different foods, I was also going to the medical literature and trying to piece together why something was working, why something wasn't working, and whether or not this was something specific to me or if this had a general application to any autoimmune disorder or any immune disorder. And so I was starting to piece together the scientific picture behind how my body was responding to certain foods. And it turns out that my body is incredibly sensitive to inflammatory compounds in foods, which I think is a fairly typical experience for people with autoimmune disease, although, you know, it's by no means everyone with autoimmune disease. And so as I started to really understand the details of how components in food interact with the immune system, interact with the gut barrier, and then also, you know, really start to to solidify this concept of eating enough nutrients and really focusing on nutrient density and then understanding just what a nutrient hog our immune systems are. Because <laughs> they really, they just suck up resources in the form of nutrients. And so when you are nutrient deficient, one of the very, very first systems in the body that stops working properly is the immune system. And so nutrient deficiency is inflammatory, just by itself, not getting the nutrition your body actually needs is inflammatory. So then understanding that piece and integrating that into my life. And so it became a passion for me. It became something that I wrote about a lot on my blog. And so when I was given the opportunity to write a book, it was, you know, well, of course, I'm going to write a book about, you know, how to modify the paleo diet for autoimmune disease. Like that's a no brainer. This is the book, you know, not only is there this huge void in the paleo literature, alternative health literature, nutrition literature, autoimmune disease literature about this. But this is what I need for myself. Like this is the book that I wish I had 20 years ago. So I started writing this book and I was like, it's going to be, you know, an all in one guide, all the reasons why you got to do what you got to do. And then all the practical, how you're going to do it and recipes. And I had this idea that it was going to be this, this amazing like resource for, for, like, and it's just gonna have everything in it. And so I submitted the first two parts of my book and was finalizing the recipes and getting that ready to submit because it had to go to, you know, edit and design. And my publisher calls me and says, so Sarah, uh, the first two parts of your book are 250,000 words. <laughs> and, uh, and how many recipes do you have? And at the time I had 120. Uh, and he said, um, so, 250,000 words is like 450 pages. 
And 120 recipes, like if you've got a recipe and then a photo, I mean, even if we put it all on one page, it's 120 more pages. The most we can actually bind is 432 pages. Oh, wow. And, and, I, and I just, I was like, well, I don't want to cut anything out. It was the first thought. Like I, this information I had worked so hard on distilling the science um, so that it was accessible to most people and really felt passionately about having those scientific explanations about how components and foods interact with the gut barrier. So I didn't want to cut, I didn't want to dumb any of it down. I didn't want to cut any of it out. Um, and I, I, I was so, um, I was so upset at the idea that they were now going to ask me to start, you know, trimming back material. And they came up with the very gentle suggestion of what if it's two books? And I thought about, I, I thought about it for about half a second and I was like, aha, yep, that's what we'll do. Hmm. So we'll make a science book and then we'll make a companion cookbook. And there's plenty of precedents for this in the literature. So at that point, I, I focused on finishing the science book. It, you know, required at that point, you know, writing a conclusion. And, um, and then I, uh, finished that and turned my focus to finishing the cookbook. And that gave me the opportunity to expand on the recipes. So there's now actually over 200. Um, and so the first book, of course, is The Paleo Approach. And the second, the companion cookbook is The Paleo Approach Cookbook. Yeah. That's awesome, Sarah. And I love that. And I love that uh, the note under your cookbook says, a detailed guide to heal your body and nourish your soul. And one of the things that we find in a lot of conversations with people is that they end up really in the in the paleo lifestyle because everything else up until then had let them down. And, um, you know, they'd been seeing um, doctors and trying to work out why they just um, anything they ate just didn't sit right with them. And mm. I was just wondering, um, how can somebody go about figuring out if they have an autoimmune issue, um, if, you know, all of those conventional methods, um, have led them to no resolution? So that's a really difficult question to answer because there is no one test that can detect like any autoimmune disease. And that's one of the things that makes, um, autoimmune disease diagnosis, like so incredibly frustrating for so many people. So for some autoimmune diseases, there is, you know, a blood test or, you know, biopsy results or um, imaging results that's sort of conclusive. So for example, if you have celiac disease, um, you know, a certain appearance of the small intestine um, under a microscope after being biopsied would be a diagnosis for that disease. Or if you have rheumatoid arthritis, you know, a, how your joints look, um, in an x-ray combined with certain antibodies in your blood would give you a diagnosis. Or if you had multiple sclerosis, you know, certain dark spots on your brain would, would give you a diagnosis. But there's so many autoimmune diseases that don't actually have, um, you know, something, some kind of hallmark like that, that makes it easy to diagnose. And I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see my air quotes. <laughs> um, because there's actually a statistic from... Um, the association, let's see, you know, the American Association of Autoimmune and Related Diseases. Uh, wait, I think association goes at the end. American Related Diseases and Autoimmune something. That that place, AARDA. <laughs> um, they have a statistic that they um, had actually done through through um, a uh, a company and a, and a poll, and it showed that 45% of people who were later diagnosed with life threatening 
autoimmune diseases were labeled as hypochondriacs in the early phases of their autoimmune diseases. And it's because the symptoms of autoimmune disease generally are fairly vague and amorphous. So they're things like mm. low energy, achy muscles, achy joints, skin issues, and that can be anything going on with your skin. Um, you know, fatigue, brain fog, mood issues, um, you know, weight loss, weight gain. And they're things that, you know, clearly are symptoms of autoimmune disease, but also they don't necessarily point to autoimmune disease. They could point to chronic stress or not getting enough sleep or something, you know, some kind of food sensitivity. And so what happens is, you know, these people will feel awful. They'll feel terrible. They'll go to their doctor and try and say, I know there's something wrong. And the doctor will just say, oh, you just need to get more sleep. Mm -hmm. Or you, you need to figure out how to deal with your stress. You need to, you know, you're depressed. And, and then these patients, they know something's wrong and they keep going back and going back. And then eventually the doctor will be like, well, you know, you're, you're just trying to get attention. <laughs> and it's, it's unfortunately not until those autoimmune diseases have progressed to a point where the symptoms are severe and fit a pattern that a lot of these autoimmune diseases can be diagnosed. So, you know, and some of them even, you know, there has to be a fairly large amount of damage, for example, in celiac disease, there has to be a fairly large amount of damage done to the small intestine before it's going to show up on a biopsy. And you can biopsy and happen to, to get a part of the small intestine that's not damaged yet. Meanwhile, there's extensive damage to other parts of the small intestine. So there's always these false negatives in the di diagnostics. And so it makes it incredibly frustrating because there is no, there's no one test that is going to, you know, find the antibody that attacks you. Um, and because there's thousands probably of different antibodies that are culprits in autoimmune diseases, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. And so, so we don't have a test for that. And so Sarah, is, is there anyone then, you know, who would be at a disadvantage to try out an autoimmune protocol to, to, you know, just strip things right back and then slowly introduce things. Is, is, is it harmful for you to try these protocols? Even if absolutely. you, even if you don't end up having any issues? Yeah, absolutely not. So it's what I, you know, when I talk with people who say, I think I have an autoimmune disease, but my doctor can't figure it out. I don't have a diagnosis. You know, my, my first, you know, recommendation is, well, try the autoimmune protocol because it is completely designed to, you know, remove everything that's inflammatory from the diet, support gut health, and then regulate the immune system. And by regulating the immune system, you give the body the opportunity to heal. And what it is, is it's, it's really an even cleaner version of the paleo diet. So it has an even stronger focus on nutrient density with recommendations to eat more organ meat, more seafood, more vegetables. And it takes out the kind of gray area foods that have some mildly inflammatory compounds in it that someone with autoimmune disease is probably more sensitive to things like nightshades, things like egg whites, things like nuts and seeds and coffee. It takes those out. And then it also says, Hey, let's focus on sleep. Let's focus on stress management. Let's get the right kinds of activity. Let's, um, let's work on the hormone regulation side as well, because all of these hormones that are involved with, you know, stress, sleep, um, how often we eat, blood sugar regulation, they're all immune regulators themselves. So you need to regulate those hormones in order to regulate the immune system. So there's, there's nothing 
it's a nutrient dense whole foods diet. Mm-hmm. There is not anything missing from this diet. In fact, you're probably getting far more nutrition focusing on these foods than you could get in any other variation of foods from the food system. And so you're basically maximizing nutrition, minimizing problematic compounds, and you're not, by minimizing the problematic compounds, you're not, there's nothing else that's cut out that your body's going to be missing because you're still maximizing nutrients and you're still getting complete nutrition and balanced nutrition. And so, you know, the thing that you stand to lose by trying an autoimmune protocol, even if your health issues are fairly vague and undiagnosed, the thing that you have to lose is your favorite foods for a while. And that shouldn't be, you know, that shouldn't be um, a, you know, I don't want to make light of that. So, you know, missing out on favorite foods can be really, really hard. And I think that even when people feel amazing following the autoimmune protocol, that sense of deprivation can kind of take you by surprise and, you know, smack you upside the head and, and make it really challenging to continue even when you know how your eating is making you feel amazing. So I don't want to say like, oh, worst case scenario, you just gave up donuts for a month because it's much more complicated than that. Yeah. And it's definitely challenging and it requires effort and requires you know, restructuring of not just how you're cooking, but your entire life to, you know, fit in things like more sleep, to fit in things like, you know, going for, for walks in nature. And it's definitely worth it, but it requires a huge amount of effort. And there is, you know, a certain amount of, of deprivation that can go with it. And that was, for me, one of the major um, motivations to write the Paleo Approach cookbook was to give people a cookbook that's like, hey, look, food can still taste good. Yeah. So I know I just took away tomatoes and I know that you think tomatoes should go on everything. But guess what? You can still make delicious food without tomatoes and you can still make delicious food without pepper and you can still make delicious food. You can make delicious desserts without chocolate and eggs and nuts. And so the idea was to to really you know give people a huge variety of recipes because this book is really, you know, it's, it's not supposed to be everything for everyone, but a little bit for everyone. Um, so that there's quick meals and then there's gourmet meals and then there's cheap meals. And then there's, um, you know, the, the things that you would serve company and they would never know they were eating autoimmune protocol, paleo foods. Um, and then there's the treats for like, it's your birthday and you want to have a cake or, you're watching your family eat something that you really, really want. And if you don't have something that's for you, you're going to fall off the wagon. So it, the book kind of has all of those things all in one. But yeah. the, the answer to the question really is there's there's nothing to risk in trying the autoimmune protocol. And there's a whole lot to gain. So when people have these sort of like they just don't feel well and the you know, their doctors are basically throwing up their hands and saying, you know, I don't know what it is. You know, this is an excellent first place to start. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Sarah. And like, I think um, your book, it comes across like a big warm hug because it does um, portray that you understand that it's not a walk in the park. Like it is tricky and it comes with ups and downs that are bigger than just the food that you put in your mouth. And I think, um, 
I'm really drawn to, to what you've done because, um, you know, the, the science is evident, but for someone like me that's, um, you know, not uh, doesn't have that science brain, I still get it. Um, and it's really simple, but it doesn't make me feel like an idiot for reading it. Um, and also, you've just removed so many excuses. You know, I talk to people about eating, um, you know, even paleo or, or, or let alone autoimmune, and they're like, well, it, it costs too much and it's too hard and I don't know what to buy at the shops and, uh, you know, I, I don't even know where to start. And you've um, eliminated all of that, like just in one book, you know, you've got amazing recipes, but you've given us the why behind what, what we should be eating. Um, and then you've also gone as far, I love, um, you've got a list of alphabetical yes no maybe so Um, can you Mm -hmm. tell our listeners what that's all about well so one of the things that I I I get sort of frequently asked questions you know my blog or my email or uh, through our podcast um, is you know is this you know is how about rice can I can I eat rice on the autoimmune protocol Um, or or what about you know konjac (laughs) <laughs> like I don't even know what that is. I have to look that up. Um, and I'll get these questions that are, you know, like, what about this food? What about that food? And in the paleo approach, I really, because it was so important to me to um, to present this diet in a positive way and present it with the huge amount and variability of what you can eat rather than thinking about this list of things that you're never going to be able to enjoy again to instead think of like all these amazing things you can eat. Because I think that having that positive mindset is really important, you know, not just to sort of set yourself up for success in making these changes, but just as a general mental health thing. Mm-hmm. Like I think it's really important to approach change with a positive attitude. And so I tried to put together these, you know, big complete lists of all the different kinds of foods that you could eat and then what happened was I'd get questions that were answered in those lists, but I realized it was because someone, for example, didn't know that quinoa was a pseudograin. And so they weren't sure where to look for quinoa because they didn't really know what it was. Mm. And so I decided that, you know, in order to make this the most user-friendly experience, I had to give people different ways of looking up the information um, because different people's brains you know, access information differently. So what I tried to do, and I, I tried to do it in both books, but I think I learned a lot from the first book that allowed me to do some cooler things with the, with the cookbook in terms of the organization, was to have a, different ways of pointing you to the information, so have different ways of accessing it. So there's still the food lists of here's all of the fish that you can eat, but then there's also this alphabetical appendix that is just you know, all of the, they're all whole foods. So for example, I, you know, I just list wheat. I don't list bread and donuts and cake and cupcakes mm-hmm. and crackers because I just assume that you'll be able to figure out that they have wheat by reading the ingredients list. But, um, but I basically came up with the, you know, every food that I mentioned either as a no or as a yes, or, the, and there are still some maybes that even on the autoimmune protocol, there's some foods that you can consume as long as you're really careful about, quantity. So for example, coconut is typically tolerated in small amounts um, and coconut oil is usually great. And then coconut flour can be um, a little bit more problematic because of the types of fiber in it. So, you know, you have to be a little bit cautious with coconut, but it's not banned. 
Um, at least, you know, I, well, I don't like thinking of any food as being banned, but it's, it's not on a no list anyways. It's on a moderation and watch how you respond list. So I try to put all of this in an appendix so that it would be really easy for people who were, say, cleaning out their pantry or going through the grocery store and finding a new fruit or vegetable that they didn't know what it was. And they want to know, like, is this a good choice? Yeah. Um, so here was this big, you know, as comprehensive as I could make it. I mean, I, there, I'm, there's definitely things that are not on it. I admit that I didn't think of everything, but it was as comprehensive as I could come up with you know, a list of foods. You did a pretty bloody good job, I think. <laughs> I believe kangaroo is actually on that list. Wow. <laughs> See something for everyone. That's, that's excellent. Sarah, I, uh, I was speaking to a friend the other day and um, they were saying uh, to me, they were like, you know, I heard that if you're one of these people that's like superfoods, this superfoods that like all the superfoods, like you just smash those all the time and you will be a super being. Um, and they were saying that, you know, if, if your gut's not in check and if you haven't got a good system to be able to make, you know, um, utilize these superfoods as best as possible, that you're really going to be wasting your time and that you should be really returning back to basics. Um, can you tell us, uh, do you have, can you give us a bit of commentary on that? You know, like are superfoods superfoods if your gut's not in check? Well, so what I think of as a superfood I think of a food is that is ridiculously packed with nutrients for the caloric contribution to your diet. So I think of foods like liver um, or like kale and collard greens. Um, I think of oysters, for example. So I think of, you know, seaweed, these foods that are just packed with vitamins, minerals, essential fats, essential amino acids um, that have things that are maybe lacking if if in a more typical western diet where we even a typical paleo diet where we tend to sort of overly focus on you know ground beef and broccoli um so when i think of superfoods i mean those are the superfoods i I think of and there's certainly some foods that are labeled as superfoods that don't really excite me that much for example goji berries kind of inflammatory. Yeah. I wouldn't recommend goji berries. So when I think of superfoods though, those are the foods I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of, you know, organ meat and, and shellfish and um, these really fantastic vegetables. You know, there's some great, you know, cranberries, for example, some of these lower sugar uh, fruits that are, are packed with vitamins and antioxidants and, and great stuff. And so what happens if you have a diet that's really focused on these super nutrient dense foods and your gut health is compromised. So the you know lining of your gut is damaged. You don't have the right bacteria in your gut to help you digest these foods. Your pancreas isn't making enough pancreatic enzymes or your liver's not making enough bile salts or your gallbladder's having trouble secreting the bile into the small intestine. You've got something hindering digestion, hindering absorption. Um, and that's actually really common in autoimmune disease. And you know to a certain extent, yeah, it's true. You're not going to be able to absorb everything that's in these great foods. And so to some extent, it's true. You sort of, you're wasting it because it's going to end up in your waste. Let's see what I did there. Was that clever? <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it's in, in a sense there that that's, that's true. But at the same time, that's actually when it becomes even more important to focus on those foods because you desperately need those nutrients and whatever you can get from them is going to help you 
repair the gut and then help you absorb more nutrition. And if you you know, do this return to basics, which I guess means something different for different people. But if you're returning to, let's just say ground beef and broccoli, you're not that those foods are not as packed with nutrition. So if you're, let's say you're absorbing, let's say things are awful and you're absorbing only a quarter of what you're actually taking in. Well, a quarter, you know, of the nutrition in a meal that's like liver and onions and kale is still a lot more than the quarter that is a meal of ground beef and broccoli, mm-hmm. which is then a lot more than the meal that's a quarter of plain pasta with Parmesan on it. Mm-hmm. So so my argument would actually be that, it, you know, when you have that damaged gut, it becomes even more important to focus on the most nutrient-dense foods. And yes, some of it is not going to make it into your body, but what does make it into your body is going to help your body heal so that you can absorb more and more and more. And that's also when, you know, when you're in that situation, that's where working with a practitioner, maybe a functional medicine specialist who can help with supplements that can support digestion or supplements that can help the gut heal faster or if you have severe micronutrient deficiencies, targeted supplementation for those, that's when that can be a really, really helpful adjunct to diet and lifestyle strategies. So, you know, working with somebody who's, you know, a qualified practitioner and who's really savvy to, you know, supporting diet and lifestyle with supplements rather than um, using supplements to fix a problem. So using supplements as the as the support system and using diet and lifestyle to fix the problem. It's kind of a different approach. Um, but, you know, it's getting easier and easier to find those practitioners. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what we love about you and your book, Sarah. Like it just makes sense. And I think that at the end of the day for each of us, as we've all um, mentioned, you know, we are so different and um, it's our own responsibility to get informed and make the best choice, listen to our our gut instinct and, um, you know, go from there to to achieve the best outcome for our health. So, um, you know, thank you for for providing these amazing um, resources for people to use um, and, and help helping them to be empowered in their own health. It's just wonderful. Thank you. It's so good. And, and um, Sarah, I want to talk a bit about your books because um, I, I want people to know how amazing they are. Your first one is all about helping you to find out more about what triggers disease in your body and which foods heal your body, how to regulate your immune system through diet and how to manage sleep. Um stress and physical activity to promote optimal health and is my absolute favorite resource that I refer all of my paleo newbies to um, and I can't recommend it highly enough so you can imagine how excited and thrilled I am to finally see this amazing cookbook which matches perfectly um, your amazing work in the first book so go and get a copy of Sarah Ballantyne's brilliant books the paleo approach and the paleo approach cookbook they're comprehensive uh, scientifically backed but more importantly they're useful and they're easy to read so um, the cookbook is suitable for absolutely anyone I know we've spoken a lot about people that are new to to this way of um, eating and and living but whether you're just starting out on your paleo journey or you're if you're a paleo veteran looking for some kitchen inspiration uh, and they're both available at Amazon and the book depository and I promise that you will love each and every bite so um, get on to it guys and um, if you want more Sarah also has an amazing website chock full of wonderful resources which you can access at uh, www.thepaleomum.com, which is M-O-M, 
for um, the Aussie listeners there. And you can also find Sarah on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. So search for The Paleo Mum to get across all of the good stuff. And um, as always, we hope you all enjoyed the show as much as we did. Felt like it was gone in the blink of an eye. But make sure you tell us what you think. And until next week, like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Share your story and help to grow the Paleo tribe worldwide. Hi, it's Damien Christoph here. If you're loving the Wellness Couch podcast, then you'll absolutely love our special once-only free four-part webinar series starting Thursday, October 30. Join me and my Wellness Guys co-host plus Marcus Pierce from 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind as we dive deep into the hot topics of wellness over four consecutive weeks. Brett Hill will kick us off by showing you how to be fab and fit in five. I'll be presenting What the F and discussing the big bad F words when it comes to food. Lawrence Tam will leave you inspired with a magnificent mindset and MP will reveal his 10-step formula to mastering your life. These webinars are absolutely free and they go for an hour each and they take place every Thursday night from October 30 until November 20. To get access, you must sign up. So simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com or check out The Wellness Couch on Facebook. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.